0: Hey guys, how's your week going? Thank you so much for being here. I just wanted to let you know that I listened to you. So many of you have sent me DMs saying that you were really craving episodes that you could share with your male partners. And so today I'm interviewing David Arrell, and he is the author of the book, Welcome to Fatherhood. So it's the modern man's guide to pregnancy, childbirth, and fatherhood. So many of you are in cisgendered heterosexual relationships. And if you are, then I feel like this episode might benefit you. What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does a day of labor look like? Wait, wait. Is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hides. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them, and you, deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions birth story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings, and of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story. I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. Okay, before we get started, I just wanted to thank Anja of useanja.com for sponsoring this episode. If you did not catch my episode with Katherine Cross, who created the company Anja, I hope you'll rewind and listen all about cord blood banking with useanja. She is offering all Birth Story listeners $100 off their private cord blood banking with code birthstory. Now, let me tell you a little personal story about Anja and private cord blood banking. I am a parent of a child with cerebral palsy. I did not know he was going to have cerebral palsy from a birth injury until after he was born. If I had chosen cord blood banking. The outcome of my child could be very different if he had access to his own stem cells. Those are blank cells that can go to repair and rewrite damaged cells, like in my son Jagger's with his brain injury. It can also be used with siblings. So cord blood banking, there's a 75% chance it will match with a sibling. There's a 50% chance it'll match with the parent. So yeah, like you. Like if you get one of these 85 diseases that right now we know stem cells can help, that can help you too, not just your child and not just your child's siblings. You will be able to use the stem cells at some point. So I don't want you to look at it as an insurance policy either. So I'm thinking like, oh, my five left knee surgeries, like I could inject some stem cells in there at some point in the future and help my knee out. There's a lot of research and development going on with PCOS, hair loss, anti-aging, cancers, tumors, lymphomas, along with the 85 known diseases that we have already proven that stem cells can help to cure, save lives, support lives and diseases. But what makes Anja different? Catherine Cross, her personal story why she started Anja, there is a huge community. It is tech enabled. There's a beautiful brand that user experience is incredible. So like I said, if you do not know about cord blood banking, please rewind and listen to Catherine's episode. And if you decide to do cord blood banking, please use code birthstory for $100 off at useanja.com. U-S-E-A-N-J-A.com. All right, here's your episode.
1: One quick point here. I have a nanny that comes to help out sometimes. I work from home, so sometimes I have a nanny come to help me out, but she called out sick at the last minute today. So I have my kids upstairs, and I promised if they watch The Incredibles without coming down or causing trouble that I would let them have some ice cream before dinner. So I'm hoping that that promise of ice cream before dinner carries the day, but there may be something that I have to like pause and go see what the breaking glass sound I heard was upstairs because they're four and two. And so I never leave them like unsupervised, but just as the last minute she called out and I was like, well, we've, you and I already had to switch once. I didn't want to cancel on you. So just a heads up, if if there's a a situation, I might have to say time out real quick. Let me go see what's going on here, but I'm hoping they're good.
0: I love it, David. I'm actually going to keep that in because I think that's a great introduction. You mean your father?
1: (laughs) Right. (laughs) And a good one? (laughs)
0: And you have to balance working from home in the middle of a pandemic and all of the things. So
1: it's, it's tricky. They never watch TV during the day, but this is a very special occasion. So it's, uh, I'm hoping that, that we negotiated the good terms of the deal, me and the kids. <laughs> I
0: am feeling confident about ice cream later. So David, welcome to the Birth Story Podcast. I am very thankful to have you today to talk about Welcome to Fatherhood, your amazing book, and everyone, the tagline on the front of it is The Modern Man's Guide to Pregnancy, Childbirth, and Fatherhood. It's really funny. So I'm excited to talk to you today.
1: Thanks for having me on, Heidi. I'm, I'm excited also. There's, uh, there's a lot of uh, WTF moments in the fatherhood journey. So the, the Welcome to Fatherhood WTF acronym definitely sets it up well, I think.
0: <laughs> yes. I mean, there are so many things like, like third trimester, giddy up, cowboy, I'm like, oh, no, where are we going with this one, you know? (laughs) So if you'll push pause on your podcast player right now, I want you to go to the link in the show notes. And this is a really great present for any of you. You know, I think, like I said in the beginning, if you're cisgendered, you're heterosexual, this, you know, there's a father coming into the existence of this pregnancy for you, then I feel like this would be a really important and supportive gift. I also want you to share this episode with your male partners, if you have one, because we are going to dig pretty deep, David, today into the emotions, the challenges of fatherhood on a pregnancy journey, okay? And then the inauguration from the birth story. So let's dig it. Are you ready? Sounds
1: great. Yeah, let's do it.
0: Okay. Before we do anything else, I have to understand... What drove you to write a book? Like, who are you? What do you do for a living? Are you a writer? Like, how was this book birthed?
1: Sure, great question. My wife and I had just moved to a new town. She was starting a brand new career. I had just sold uh, a business I had in our previous town. And so we were planning on starting a family. And the the plan was that I was gonna be the stay-at-home provider, the caregiver for the first couple of years while she got launched into her new career and while I was sort of taking a break from the business world. And it turned out that we found out we were pregnant essentially right away. So I was started, you know, researching my new job of being a dad and I was reading some books and we took a couple of different birth classes. As the pregnancy went along, even though I felt like I was doing the right things to get prepared and to get ready, I just didn't quite Feel like I was really crushing it. Like I was like, wow, I'm like trying hard, but I'm not, I'm not really feeling super connected to uh, Jen, my wife. And, you know, plenty of times we were, but other times I was just like, I just wasn't sure what was going on or what I was supposed to do as the, you know, the going to be a dad guy, you know. Fast forwarding after, and I can circle back to talk about some of the details here, but fast forwarding after our son was born and through that first, that fourth trimester, the postpartum period. I look back and I I realize there were so many little things I could have done differently or better. And in talking to some other pregnant couples, friends of ours, a couple of themes kept popping up. Like so many of the dads I talked to just seemed sort of lost in the process. Like they wanted to be helpful and supportive, but they weren't sure quite what to do or what to say or how to be in so many of these different circumstances. And then from the mamas I was talking to they were feeling like they weren't getting the help and support from the larger culture. You know, our, we, we all live very differently than we did 200 years ago and when we had our, our proverbial village that it took to help raise a child. And they were looking for the dads to do more and step in, but they didn't even know what to ask of the dads besides a sort of vague sense that both the mamas and the dads talked about about this helpful and supportive idea. But when you started to get specific, people were just kind of shrugging and the, the moms were guessing on what they needed or the, the expectant mamas were, and the dads were guessing on what they were trying to do. And that led to just sort of like a lot of people weren't feeling like they were thriving in that space. And looking back, they had experienced some similar sort of moments of like, oh, if somebody had told me to do this this way, that would have worked better. And the mama said, yes, actually that would have been helpful. At the time, I couldn't have guessed that, but looking back, that would have been. So I sort of took my own experiences and the experiences of these other couples I talked to. And I, I was a little bit, I don't want to say annoyed, but I was like inspired and a little bit of frustrated. Like this could be easier for both us guys and for the mamas if there were some other books out there or other materials that were a little bit more direct and helpful from a guy point of view. Like I can only speak from my experience and from the guys I spoke with, but we, we kind of agreed we would have appreciated a little bit more direct, like, hey guys, like, understand this. This is a big idea. You need to understand this differently than just sort of hearing it, or you need to do these things or, you know, think about doing these things. Every couple is different. Every relationship is different, but this might be helpful. You should at least try it. And with like a very specific definition of what the it is. So that's kind of where I started. I was like, I started collecting these things and I decided I was going to, that was what I was going to do. I was going to be the guy that, that put my, offering my opinions, my perspectives out there and kind of see what landed for people. And then we had our second pregnancy shortly thereafter. And I was really able to kind of put a lot of that, all of those ideas into the, into a real world test. And I was able to kind of tweak them a little bit. And that's kind of where we get to the final product here. Like this is where I think a lot of the guys I speak with resonate. They're like, yeah, that's a good idea. Thanks, man. Or like, oh, I didn't appreciate that. Like I always kind of understood it this way. But now that I understand it this other way, that makes a lot more sense. And then the mamas too are like, yeah, the, you know, th- this does feel better when we talk about this topic this way. So that's kind of where it came from and, and where it's going. So it's pretty, it's been pretty exciting.
0: Yeah. I really appreciate that we're having this conversation today because I'm coming at you as a doula, right? And my doula perspective, the challenge always when a couple hires me and we go into the interview One of the very first things every single mom says in the interview is, how are you going to include my partner? Now, some partners, I'll be honest, don't want to be included, okay? Or they're like, kind of want to be included, but exactly what you said, have no idea what to do. They don't have a roadmap. They feel very lost. But this is a key part of my personal doula practice. And I don't want to speak for all doulas, right? Because I don't know if all doulas have a roadmap for dads in their practice, right? But I have handouts, I have emails, I have PDFs, I have, we talk, just me and the dads. We go back and forth on these prenatals, on on text messages, and I prepare them, but I also make sure that I'm not bringing shame to them if that's not a role that they want to play. But how do we know, unless as a team, we all kind of come together and we agree what our roles are and what roles they're playing. Right? Like, I don't want to step on anyone's toes. Like if dad really wants to do the lavender ice cloths, right? Do it.
1: Right. Or the hip. Right. Exactly.
0: Or the hip squeezes or whatever. But imagine, I imagine what in the world does everyone do if they didn't hire a doula? Right. Like how do you achieve knowing right? If you're like, if I'm pregnant and I wasn't a doula, I don't even know how I would have told my spouse how to help me. But then my doula swept in and was like, and do all these other things. So I think this book that you have written, Welcome to Fatherhood. I mean, I think this is a very important book, David. Very, very important. And that's why I agreed to this interview.
1: Awesome. Thank you. So
0: let's talk a little bit about, you said you got pregnant really easily so no fertility journey there. No,
1: we, 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 were, we were fortunate in that we literally packed up out of Philadelphia at the end of October to move to Omaha. And on Thanksgiving, we found out we were pregnant with our first pregnancy. So we agreed that we were not, not trying because you know we had been practicing birth control prior to that. And so we were ready to commit to a family. And uh, lo and behold, the universe responded. We're like, well, I hope so, because here you go, <laughs> so, giddy up, cowboy! Right?
0: Yeah, giddy up. <laughs> How did you find out that your wife was expecting?
1: We had planned, like we discussed, we were not not trying, and uh, she was expecting her. You know, she missed her 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 period. She missed her cycle. She took a pregnancy test when she was like a couple of days late because she's very she's one of those people that's like always kind of excited about what's coming up next. So like that 29th day or 30th day, she was like, oh sweet, let's go to the store and get some pregnancy tests. And then I think it was about a week after the first batch, she got another batch because she was still late. And I remember we were were sitting, we had rented an apartment while we were looking for a house in Omaha. So it was just right on the couch, you stare right down the hallway and there's the bedroom. And I'm half awake and I have my coffee and I'm just, you know, just another day. It was Thanksgiving. We had planned on having some, meeting some friends and she came down the hall, I could tell she had a whole different vibe about her. And she held up the pregnancy test. And thank God it was one of those digital ones. It just said pregnant. It wasn't like you're squinting to see where the bars are, if there's one or two. I was just so excited because, you know, we had, I knew she had been checking, but I didn't know like how frequently or whatnot. But she was excited and I was super excited. And we realized we we're being kind of thrown into that, like, oh, here we go, you know? And we made a decision that morning that we were going to include the news with some of our our close friends and family. This is one of the topics I talk about in the book. It's actually scary moment number one, which is we talked a little bit about wanting to have our family and friends close to us and aware of what we were going through. One of her good friends had had a miscarriage about a year prior to that and hadn't told anybody that she was pregnant and really struggled with like, how do you share your... Your bad news if you haven't shared your good news. And it was a little bit tricky for her friends. So we wanted to make sure we had our friends close to us as part of that journey to bring that support in right away. So we, you know, FaceTimed our family and we're like, oh, happy Thanksgiving. What are you guys doing? Well, we're we're gonna have a baby. That's what we're doing. So we really kind of ran with that. Let's celebrate early with our friends. And so we have them in that inner circle, like our close friends and family. So we were super enthusiastic and You know, she was like, well, this bottle of wine I bought for our friend's Thanksgiving, I'll leave, I'll bring it over, but I won't be drinking any. So we were already kind of laughing about some of our early adjustments we were making with our, you know, with her, especially for her diet and vitamins. And so we stopped at the store and got prenatal vitamins on the way down to our friend's house. And uh, we hit the ground running.
0: Oh, this is so exciting. I love hearing about that, that moment, right? It just brings me right back. You're talking and it just brings me right back to that. Like I was sitting in a parking lot and I was like, oh, I think I'm pregnant and went and got a test. And and it's just, it's that moment, like there's one moment right then and everything changes, right? Right, right. I love that you said you included people. I encourage my audience to share your pregnancy and to honor the life. There is a life inside of you. There is a flicker inside of you when you find out that you were pregnant
1: and Mm -hmm. to share
0: that life. And we know that 25% of the time those lives don't stick around, you know, past the first eight weeks, 75% do. And so I love when we have that support system built in though to celebrate our joys, but to also be there to hold us if, you know, the baby decides that this isn't the right time for their soul and that they may need to try again, you know, again and again and again. I love that you said scary moment number one, and you really break down the book that way from a dad's perspective. We probably, as a mom, have scary moment 288, which is like (laughs) how many days of what pregnancy there are, you know? Right, right, very true, very true. Every single day is, you know, brings a new anxiety. And so I wanted to talk about the first trimester from a father's perspective and Assumably, your wife is a go getter and she is strong and she's healthy and she's got this big job. And so, what are some of the first changes that you noticed in the first trimester?
1: Well, I think with her, some of the changes I noticed definitely had to do with some of what us guys are generally going to be familiar with, which is this whole concept of morning sickness. Like, she was definitely very sensitive to smells and foods and. You know, I would often have dinner going when she would come home from work. Because again, that was my job was I I was taking a break from the business world and was planning on being a stay-at-home dad. So I was like, okay, you know, I had some background in the restaurant business. Let me start getting some dinners ready here. And things that she used to love, like the smell of like, you know, sauteing some garlic and onions just became a quick, like she would open the door. And again, I mentioned it was a small apartment while we were looking for the a good house for ourselves and, you know, open the door and she's like, oh, you know. As opposed to, oh wow, that sounds that smells delicious, babe. It was just like, you know, she'd run down the hall and shut the door of the bedroom so she'd get changed and turn the fan on. So we had to switch some plans around about dinner, like either it ready when she got home, or we would, or we would wait till after she got home, and then we'd talk about what she felt like eating. And you know, she would cook sometimes too. It wasn't like I was only cooking, but having the oven going with smells going as her first entrance to walking home we quickly determined it was not the most ideal way to start the night. So we made some changes there.
0: Did you ever interpret her needs and you seeking to fill her needs that were not met with positivity as a failure? Like, how did that make you feel? Like, I went to the grocery store. I got all these ingredients. I'm so excited. I worked in a restaurant and I'm trying to cook this amazing meal for my wife. And then I've just maybe upset her a little bit (laughs) trying to do good. How does that feel? From your perspective? Well,
1: honestly, it feels terrible, Heidi. Like, the, that's one of the things that so many of the guys I, that I, I experienced this time and time again, in myself, like, guessing to try to find a way to help her. Cause, you know, we, 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 that's all we can do. We're, we're way over here. We could be sitting right next to our pregnant partner, but at the same time, we're way over here in our own universe. We're not feeling any of the feelings, we're not having the experiences. And so, a lot of times, we don't really know where she may be in that moment. And so we're guessing on that. And then we don't really know if we should do something or if we should do something, what we should do. So we're guessing on that. So we end up just kind of guessing a lot. And then we guess wrong, you know, quote unquote wrong, and that what we hoped would help her feel better or make her more comfortable or bring a smile to her face or whatever our desired outcome was, it just goes the other way. And then we just kind of get, you know, we, we definitely, that doesn't feel good when we're guessing wrong. And that's one of the main, you know, one of the main themes that I kind of try to talk about that kind of runs through the whole book is this idea of like, hey guys, you're moving, you're living in the dude zone now prior to finding out that you're going to be a father prior to that positive pregnancy test. And this is one of the main themes that runs through the book is this idea of the guys like, what should I tell the guys, hey, you're on a, you're on your own journey here. You're on the journey from what I call the dude zone to the dad zone, where you're adjusting your reality from being a guy that has a a partner and, you know, a job, hobby, career, interest, and all that's great. And now you're going to be bringing a new baby into the world and you need to make some room in your life as well as some adjustments to what that means. And that's a journey to the dad zone. And a lot of those guessing moments, I know I spent some time here and other guys I've talked to spend a lot of time here. When you guess wrong repeatedly, It's easy to go in one of two ways that I call the dud zones for the guys who guess wrong and they start to get a little, I don't want to say sad, but they get a little down on themselves and they just basically say, okay, honey, well, I really want to be helpful and supportive, but whatever you want me, just tell me and I'll do it. And they sort of, they sort of get defeated a little bit of like, they kind of give up on the guessing and they don't really own their story and their choices and their power. And they think they're being helpful by asking their pregnant partner just to kind of tell them what to do. But ultimately that's not helpful. Like a pregnant mama has got her own worries. She doesn't need to be wondering like what she needs to tell him to do when and how long and how high to jump and all that kind of stuff. So that's dud zone on the left. I call that wimpy town. And the dud zone on the right is for those guys. They get tired of guessing wrong and they get a little angry about it, or a little defiant. And they say, well, f- you know what? Y- you do it. If you need something, ask me and I'll try to help you. But otherwise, like, I'm not going to keep I'm just not going to keep guessing wrong. And I call that Jerkville cuz they're a little overly frustrated, a little overly expressive. And what I tell the guys is like, look, you're going to bounce between these two guardrails of Wimpyville and uh, Wimpy town and Jerkville kind of repeatedly cuz it's natural when you guess when you're trying to do be helpful and you're trying to be supportive and it's not landing the way you imagine, it's easy to get a little frustrated or down, but that's okay. That that's what the journey to the dad zone looks like and keep striving, keep putting effort in. Understand your partner may not know what she needs to feel better in the moment too, so she's guessing also. You're going to have a lot of trial and error, but as long as you're sincere and you're trying to maintain that connection and that like, well, let's talk about what's going on here. Let's let's see what we can do together and you're fostering that sense of teamwork and togetherness, then those guardrails are small bumps rather than, you know, pitching a tent and hanging out on one side or the other for way too long. So, that's what this book is, is hoping to do is help these guys develop their own path up to the dad zone. And that's where some of these tips and ideas come in. It's like, you know, if you're doing these things or something like them, you will make progress. Maybe not today, but these are tested and tried and true ways to be more successful in that journey.
0: Yeah. The first thing that comes to mind when I hear you talk about this is that when does the dad start to feel like a dad? And I have dads all the time that text me and they say, Heidi, the doula, I hear you calling me the dad and I like, I know I'm going to be a dad and like, I can see the baby moving in there, but like, but I don't feel like a dad. Like I have so many dads that say like, until I see this baby, it just doesn't seem real even. And so I wanted to put that upon you. When did you feel like oh my God, I'm a dad?
1: Well, first of all, you're hundred percent right. And we can circle back to some of the, in, the details there. But for me personally, we had a bit of a challenging birth with our son, Justin, our first baby. When he came out and there's a little bit of commotion, he apparently had sort of like passed out on the final exit out of my wife. And so he, he was like, sort of like, you know, unconscious and my wife, they put him on my wife's chest, but they had already like Turned on the light and the incubator for the like the Nick U team was there like they were like this could, you know we need to be ready if he doesn't sort of like you know kickstart here and as he kickstarted and started turning pink and my wife was like rubbing him and I'm rubbing him like I just burst into tears like our baby was here and he was breathing and he was on my wife's chest and she was crying and I was crying so like that that was like the first half of it feeling real but honestly Heidi the the much bigger half was when they wheeled us, you know, the next day we're, we're going to the car. And so they, my wife's in a wheelchair, they wheel her out to the curb and I have our baby in a little click in, you know, car seat holder. And so the nurse who was escorting us out, she like opens a back door and she tugs on the car seat and checks the straps. She's like, okay, see you later. And she just like basically turned around and left and I'm standing there. And I look at my wife, like my eyes must've been as big as saucers. I was like, are they, are they really gonna let us leave? Like, don't they know we have no idea what we're doing? And uh I joke about like the Neil Armstrong one small step for man, one big step for mankind coming off on the lunar, you know, the lunar lander. That step off the curb to the car felt three times as big. I was like, Oh my goodness, like I- I'm a dad now. And there I am, like in the right right lane, blinkers on, driving five miles below the speed limit for the <laughs> yeah. first time in my whole life ever, <laughs> yeah. you know, honestly. Let's not pull up my uh, my speeding ticket record here of my past. But I was like, whoa, this is like real. And those like little successive depths of realization from like seeing our baby and holding him to that step off the curb to many other you know things that happened after that were like just deeper levels of like, oh, I'm really a dad now. But prior to that, it was like you said, it was this abstract. It was this ideal. Like that's one of the things I talk about right away is that. You know, I heard this expression, so this isn't mine, but generally speaking, this expression had a lot of truth for me is that, you know, women become mothers when they find out that they're pregnant, but us guys don't become fathers until the baby is born. And that was very true for me. And some of the other guys I spoke with were like, yeah, like, and we would joke like, well, you know, my niece is graduating next month, but I'm not mailing her a graduation card yet. You know why? Because she didn't graduate yet. Like this is, there's a reality here that a lot of times us guys have a hard time suspending in order to connect with our partners. So that's one of the first things in the book is like, guys, this may be true for you. And there's ways to kind of put it off to the side to really relate to mama's experience with that baby being here now. Like that parenthood starts with a positive pregnancy test. So let's, let's get on board and, and start acting a little bit more like that's true for us too.
0: Yeah. So first trimester, second trimester, Sometimes that gets a little bit easier for mom. Maybe you guys are getting into this rhythm, right? Of like, okay, now now I know I can't cook garlic and onions. And now, like we've done all, enough things wrong.
1: You know, for my husband, (laughs) he could
0: not come to bed unless he took a shower. And he was like the sweetest smelling person imaginable, right? But I was like, look, you have to be freshly showered to come to bed. Like once you get it down, like, okay, now we're in the second... Trimester, we've got this rhythm down that we know kind of what's up, you know, with what our partner's needs are. Tell me about your relationship.
1: We were able to appreciate uh, my wife sort of like returning to her appetite and her energy levels kind of picked up. And again, you know, it was a little bit tricky because we had just moved to a new town and we're starting a new job. Uh, she was starting a new job. So she had some. Underlying challenges that were like that wasn't like everything was the same. And then we were pregnant also. It was like everything was different, and we're pregnant also thrown into the mix. So fortunately, she had some good. She was building some good relationships with some of her coworkers that already had kids, and she was in pediatrics, so she was seeing kids, you know, every day as part of her job. She's a pediatric nurse practitioner, so she was able to sort of get a preview with all these new parents coming in with their brand new baby for well checks, and she was seeing them as her patients as she's, you know. As she's showing, we joke that she shows early and often. Like her bump picks at nine weeks looked like she was 18 weeks. Everybody was suggesting maybe we have twins. And so in that second trimester, she was already, you know, noticeably pregnant and was really enjoying that. Like we went out and we got all of the all the dresses with the horizontal stripes and and really enjoyed that aspect of like being fully in and committed to like all the all the parts of this pregnancy journey, so I think for me that was I was able to kind of relax a little bit like you mentioned, we had kind of figured out some things that worked better than things that didn't, so some of those early guesses and the errors we'd kind of like found a, a way that worked. I think one of the challenges for me, and this is something that, that I've, I've talked to like so many guys, is that there was a certain sense of urgency uh, coming from my my pregnant partner on like getting the nursery ready we We had found a house at this point, and we were going to be moving in. And so we had already started like thinking about what what the nursery theme was going to be. And as we were moving in towards the end of that second trimester, there was a lot of urgency coming from her on like getting the nursery set up and the crib and all these things. And and I was having that's where I was still having a hard time. That was a new experience, a new thing for me to be having a hard time with. Was like, well, okay, but yeah, the uh, I mean we still you're like 5 months pregnant we got like 4 months to go like i don't i i can see that it's important to you but i can't i just don't understand why we need to go back to the baby store and add more things to the baby registry or like look at strollers and like that's where i was having a hard time and you know i joke with her i'm like you know this is probably april in omaha and i'm like babe i'm not i'm not worried about looking at snowblowers right now like you know it's that's we're in spring. Why am I worried about fall? And I was trying you know, I was trying to communicate to her my experience and she was having a hard time understanding my sort of complacency about it. But the, equally, she was trying to communicate to me her sense of urgency. And I was having a hard time understanding that sense of urgency. And that's one of the areas looking back, I felt if I kind of understood things differently, I could have been a much better teammate partner be like, yeah, sure. I get it. Let's Let's go get this figured. Let's go. Let's go take care of it. Yeah, I, 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 I can see it's important to you, and therefore it's important to me. So let's go bang this out, or let's get on the other side of some of these decisions about car seats or strollers or whether we're going to go with giraffes or elephants. Even though part of my guy brain was like, I don't care, and that's that's not relevant for a long time. So that's where we kind of that's sort of communication struggles of like how to really understand and connect across our own experiences. Was where we had some of you know some minor bumps. Like none of it was a big deal. Ultimately, mm-hmm. but at the time, it's like like we just went to uh, the baby store last Saturday. I don't. I can't imagine they got anything new in this week. That's going to change our. <laughs> that's right. going to change our life. I don't want to go there again. I want to. I want to go play golf or something. So.
0: And it's really hard because a first time mom, and there's so many first time moms listening to this podcast. We don't know how to articulate what we're feeling because we don't understand what we're feeling. Because we've never felt it before. Now, if you have a mom on here who's on her sixth baby, she knows exactly why she (laughs) needs that nursery, right? Yeah, she's laughing along
1: with us. She's like, oh, this is so... I remember when I was so stressed out about that.
0: Right. It's called postpartum anxiety. Plus, sometimes our babies come at 42 weeks or 41 weeks. Sometimes they come at 33 weeks. And as soon as you have a viable pregnancy, i.e., 27, 28 weeks along, something clicks inside of the woman that says, "There, I'm not just pregnant. There is a baby that if it was born today would be fine. And so if that baby is born today and it's going to be fine, I need to be fine too. And while it seems like we have 12 weeks, we're in control of nothing. So that could happen at any time. So bearing everything I just said in mind about this anxiety and maybe like a little insight into the woman and the the moms that are listening right now that are like, yes, Heidi, that's exactly how I feel, right? As the, now you've been a dad multiple times, right? So did you ever get like better at that communication or what would be your biggest tips looking back on like, ooh, now I get it. I could have... Done X, Y, or Z, what advice would you have for handling some of the eruption of postpartum or not postpartum? Sorry. I keep saying postpartum. Antipartum anxiety. This whole time, y'all, I meant to say antipartum. I'm talking about before you have a baby anxiety. So how would you describe for our audience who they're gonna forward this episode to their partner?
1: Right, right. You know,
0: how to not have a fight in the middle of bye-bye baby's parking lot.
1: I think it's really critical for the guys out there to understand that pregnancy is probably the biggest deal ever for your partner. Bigger than weddings or graduation or or all that stuff put together. Like pregnancy is like the biggest deal ever for many mamas. And with all of the uncertainty and the lack of, you know, traditional deep community roots All of that just brings in a lot of anxiety and rightfully so. For the mama's point of view, she's stressing out about which vitamins to eat and can I still have the shrimp tempura sushi or is it all sushi and cheeses and meats and plastics and cleaning products? Like This is all very real for her in the moment. These decisions are extremely tangible and relevant for her. But for a lot of us guys, we're sort of oblivious to that. Like from, From a lot of guys' perspectives... You know, I, I've talked to some guys and I've heard things like, well, I mean, how do we all get here? We all got here through pregnancy. I, I saw six pregnant people today. It's, it's common. It's like, it's expected. We we're planning for this. So that, that's true, but that totally misses the boat on your partner and, your, and her pregnancy and your pregnancy and that you guys are a team here. So I really want to validate all of the concerns and anxieties that a lot of expectant mamas are having because it is a big deal. You should be kind of, uh, you know, having some awareness and concern about your food or your or your your support systems, et cetera. So, there's two things I tell the guys out there that I think are really critical. The the first one's really short, and that is the difference between how most guys understand teamwork, which is, "Hey, I'm going to do this over here; you go do that over there," and well, that's how we team up. We team up by dividing and conquering. So, a lot of guys think, "Oh, I'm going to go." do this and my, my partner can go do this other thing. And that's teamwork. Whereas from a lot of the pregnant mama's point of view, and this has been told to me different ways, countless times is that teamwork means let's do this here together. That's a sense of teamwork. So from a guy's point of view, that trip to bye-bye baby again, it's like, well, okay, you go to bye-bye baby and figure out which onesies you want. Cause I don't care. And I think you, you, you should pick a pick one you really like and i'll do this other thing at the house and i'll get sort of the garden going so you know later on the summer we have ripe tomatoes and I, and they feel like they're being a good teammate by dividing up what's happening and so i tell the guys like team teamwork now means doing things together so for that felt sense of teamwork definitely understand your partner's perception is different than yours perhaps and this is something you should talk about that i mean don't just take my word for it ask her but that teaming up means doing these things together even if it's looking at the baby registry again and 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 offering you know your your take on giraffe themes or elephant themes. And by the way, go with elephant, because you can't probably make a good giraffe imitation, but I'm sure you can fake some good elephant sounds, which your kids will find pretty funny as you get older. So that's my that's a little inside tip there. So that teamwork tip is a big one. But more importantly, Heidi, and you got but you started you you touched on this earlier, which is one of the dad tips I'm most strong about. Like a lot of them are like suggestions or recommendations, but this one, I'm like very direct, which is dad tip number seven, dude, hire a doula. A doula is amazing, magnificent. It's your wingman from heaven is how I phrase it. In addition to all of that big sister, wise woman, helpful partner, super informed best friend space that she can fill for your pregnant partner, she can also be super helpful and supportive for you and your journey because she's been down this road dozens of times probably, and has worked with lots of expectant people and may have some really relevant things to help you better connect with your pregnant partner and get better prepared, but also that she's your personal like counsel for your all your own worries and all your own challenges. For example, my wife Jen, who as Heidi correctly guessed, is a very strong, powerful, awesome, amazing woman, also has a very high sensitivity. To pain in her normal, not birthing a child life. Like she stubs a toe or she catches a knuckle on a shelf or something. And it's, it's, it's theatrics. There's a lot of expression, a lot of, you know, oh my God, she down, she goes and there's tears. And, you know, the first couple of times it happened, I was always like extremely concerned. I'm like, wow, that did you cut your finger off with the knife? Like what happened? Like, oh no, I just got it cut in the, caught it in the drawer and it pinched it a little bit. So our plan was to have a, a natural unmedicated childbirth. And again, I wanted to be super helpful and supportive and be team Jan hundred percent, but I still was, I'm like, ah, uh, if, if you stub your toe and you go down, how are you going to have an unmedicated childbirth? And this is my question. I'm not asking her this because that wouldn't be helpful supportive. but I'm thinking it. it's like, it's a legitimate part of my experience. And I was able to pull our doula aside, Barb, who's an amazing doula for our first pregnancy. And like, Barb, like, I want to be there 100% energetically and emotionally for this, this plan, but I can't get past this, my experience. I've seen her her toe and go down like, like a sack of potatoes. Like, How can I get past that? And so Barb was able to really be super reassuring by like, David, don't worry. I've seen you guys. I have a ton of confidence in Jen. And you need to understand that a birthing mother is a different person than just your lady walking down the street or stubs her toe. Like, She's channeling that inner power and that inner fire and that inner strength. And a stub toe wouldn't even register as an event for a birthing mother. She can do it and she'll be, and the more you can be in her corner and be fully on board, that's going to make that process easier for her. And so I was then able to get on the other side of my own sort of concerns by having those separate conversations with Barb. So, in that second trimester when, you know, the energy starts picking up, guys, a doula is going to be not just great for your partner to be that informed sounding board and advice giver, counsel, wisdom, but also can really be a great help for you. Like, hey, I really want to be better at X. What do you recommend? And then listen to what they say, because they've seen this happen. They've been down this show before. So again, dad tip number seven, dude, hire a doula, be smart, save yourself a lot of drama.
0: Yeah, I think page 60 was like my favorite in the book where you talk all about hiring a doula. And again, this like speaks to me, right? There's so many messages out there for the dads and the mom that say, she's weak. She can't do this. This is too hard. This is impossible. Or some of the dads pull me aside and they say, I don't think I can handle it seeing her. Like I'm interpreting this and these moans and these sounds as like very intense pain. And I love her and I want to save her. And so the thought when, when partners come to their husbands and say, I want to have a, or their male partners and say, I want to have an unmedicated birth. I've heard a lot of the, the partners pull me aside and say, but what does that mean for me? Right. Right. Not maybe not only am I because I'm hearing everything that you're saying, David, about like, oh, and this this pain tolerance and everything. And you had a great doula who articulated that beautifully about this innate wisdom and this innate power that women tap into. But so many of the dads are coming and are like, well, what about Heidi? What about me? What am I supposed to do if I just am sitting there and it appears like that she's really suffering, right? Okay, I'm just breaking in for just a minute in case you forgot the code. So the code is birthstory at useanja.com for a hundred dollars off if you choose to privately bank your cord blood and tissue with Anja. All right, all right, all right. Let's get back to the story. And if you don't have a doula, that could be a really scary place, right?
1: So like, well, th- th- that's exactly what happened. I mean, it's, it's like, it, that's exactly what happened with our first pregnancy. I mentioned the Barbara's our doula and she was so good on helping me on that, you know, getting prepared. But during the, the childbirth, I mentioned we had some challenges. It was really tricky. Justin, our baby, his head was not quite centered on her cervix. So he's essentially like pushing at a wrong angle against a closed cervix or cut- not. Asynclitic.
0: Yep. It's called asynclitic when their, their head, their chin is up and their head is cocked to the side. Right. It's not a proper
1: engagement. No, that was happening. And so she's pushing, but he's, he's stuck. He's not going anywhere. So she had to like, try to down shift her pushing energy while we had an amazing OB. He was super on our team, like low intervention, low monitoring, like, you know, really with us providing that safe envelope uh, out there but not pushing his agenda. So he was great um which we were very fortunate. But you know, Jen, like you said, she's moaning, she's struggling, she's got tears. I'm holding her hand and you know, part of what a lot of and this is something that us a lot of times us guys are hearing out there like we need to be the protector. We need to keep that birth space safe. We need to watch out for X, Y and Z. And like, okay, I get that. But like, I'm not a birth professional. Like, who am I to challenge a birth professional's professional advice? And I, you know, I can do that. But what if I'm just, I mean, based on what? Based on, you know, so I had a lot of, um, I have a lot of comfort in my capacity to engage people in in a, you know, professional manner and in a sort of like, well, let's wait a second. But at the same time, I'm aware of what my limitations are, my knowledge. So, and a lot of us guys that we're not, like most of us aren't birth professionals, like, well, we want to be there, but like, how, what are we supposed to be watching for? And like, how, like, how hard are we supposed to push back against recommendations, et cetera? So, you know, again, having our duo there, half my energy was like watching Jen's comfort, watching the vibe of the room, like are, are people in the room getting stressed? Like, do I need, is this a big deal or a little deal? just basically not only focusing on my on, on Jen, which was what I should have been doing. And so I looked at Barb at one point and she could, I guess you could see like this sort of building concern in my eyes. And she was like, David, Jen's fine. You're fine. I'm right here. If there's anything happening that I think you need to be aware of, I'll tap your shoulder and I'll, I'll, I'll ask you to pay attention to something, but just focus on Jen and be fully attentive to her. And I literally felt waves of relief wash through me. It's like, ah, oh, thank God. Cause I'm like literally listening to beeps and the, you know, there, there's lights in the corner that are flicking on, there's more people coming in the room and being relieved of that sort of like global surveillance position that I had sort of assigned to myself and this idea of I need to protect the birth space and being freed to just focus on Jen was so amazing. I was able to really like hone into her and like, you know, rub our brow a little bit. Her You know, obviously she had some tension in her face and I was able to see that because I was now paying fully attention to her and do some of those, you know, comfort measures. And I was able to be calm because I I had outsourced my worry to Barb, but the idea of Barb would tap me and let me know if I needed to re-engage that. And my whole demeanor shifted and Jen's whole demeanor shifted too, because now she could she told me later that I was the only person in the room she could hear or see, like people are asking things and she she was in, in that space and the transition there. By finally disconnecting from that bigger room worry and having Barb as my wingman to kind of help monitor that so I could focus on Jen, she was then able to relax more because she felt me relax and felt that I was attending to her, I was calm and I was doing what was what was helpful. And Justin was able to be born just five minutes after that once we kind of... Re-established our connection of me as her partner and her rock, her emotional sounding board to stay connected to her. So again, that doula, without Barb there, I would have been overly freaking out about all the things happening in the room and not nearly as focused on Jen as I was able to be since Barb was there. So again, guys, hire the doula and make and 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 honor the importance that this temporary. Wisdom Warrior is bringing into your experience here, 100%. Yeah,
0: I think what I say in a lot of interviews too is that we put too much pressure on our partners to be everything, right? Like, we're like, we need you to be our best friend. We need you to be our protector. We need you to go make money. We need you to do all of these things. And it's like, and we need you to be our doula. Like, no, that's, you know, that is a space that is... A servant. I am a servant, a woman servant to both partners, and I think that that is so important. There, it's a joke that I say, "Well, you won't really be in labor till I get there." You know, like something happens when I walk in the room, like the labor unfolds to the next level. Mm-hmm. Or just last week, David, I was at a birth. It was a long induction, and I just kept saying, "You know, when you when you feel like they're kind of coming, then I'll come." Right. And finally, I, I get there and like not much is going on in the room. And I see she's just so worried about her husband. He's like afraid of needles, blood, hospitals, the phobias, all the things. And I just looked at him and I said, his name's Matt. I said, Matt, go get some dinner. Like, Bye. Like, I've got her. Like, I need you to leave. I need you to leave.
1: <laughs> you can like, help by like, not being here. <laughs> like the
0: baby is not coming anytime soon. We're just working through some contractions. And Steph and I need to establish our connection here, right? Like I need to sink in deep, feel her, get her in that and do some things like get her in that rhythm. And I can tell like you you just need a cheeseburger from downstairs, you know? And so as soon as he walked out of that room, I'm telling you that labor ramped up. She was able to lock in with me, let go. I was like, he's fine. He's getting dinner. He'll be back. And we've talked now since, and he's like, "I can't believe what happened while I was gone. like it was like <laughs> at level one, and I came back and it was like level ten, and I was like, "Yeah, your wife was holding her baby in because she was so worried about you, right? right and so right. everyone listening, you know, your wife deserves the support of of experts all around her, and not just medically, you know, so I really love that part of your book. I want you to tell me." looking back on your births, what do you think you did that was the most helpful thing in the lab? Like, like literal practical things? Like if Jen, if I was interviewing Jen, what would she say like David did really well to serve me in my pregnancy and in my
1: birth? I think at the end of the day, what was so valuable was not anything that I specifically did, such as like getting her a, her straw with her water or positioning her back it was it was being there by her side and paying attention to her in the book i talk about the importance of the birth story like this is the narrative that's going to define this inflection point in your lives when you go from being a couple to having a brand new baby or two or who even three who knows but like the events of this time period are going to be a big narrative of of what happened it's the birth story and And guys, like you need to a understand this could be a big deal, and b understand how you can be the main, you know, best supporting actor. You're going to win that that Oscar by showing up. And at the end of the day, you want to be attentive. You want to be calm and be competent. That's that's in the book. That's a big idea number ten. It's just that's your mantra: be attentive. Don't be on your phone playing Tetris or who knows what when you're in there, like be, be next to her. And sure, you can go get a drink of water or go get a coffee or lunch after you want something. But the idea is if you're in the room, you need to be paying attention to mama and then being calm. Like my wife has told me as part of our birth story that I was her emotional rock. Like she was on the seas of turbulence and she knew by having me right next to her, holding her hand, that she was safe. She felt safety by holding my hand. We joke now about our first delivery where like, like I had to hold, I couldn't go to the bathroom. Like she did not want to let go of my hand for me to run three feet to the bathroom and come back as things were getting intense. And I was like, okay, I'm right here, babe. I'm right here. I'm not going anywhere. I'm hundred percent right here. So just being there holding her hand. And, you know, I was trying my, my tricks I learned in the birth class about, you know, rubbing her shoulder, kind of, I mentioned, you know, kind of trying to smooth out her brow a little bit. So having some some things, some competencies, that's the third part of the mantra is being competent, but mainly just being there and being attentive and being calm. And again, this gets back to having the right birth professionals, whether it's the right midwife or the right OB, the right doula, most importantly, who's that, that big sister, wise, sage, counsel type energy and then you as the guy, as the, as, the, as the dad, or, you know, very soon dad to be now for us guys who think that when the baby gets here, now we become dads, like that's coming now. So you need to be there and fully in that supportive, attentive, calm, competent role. So it's not about knowing every little trick of the massage or about, you know, what aromatherapy oil to put on next. Like that's bad. That's good. It's not, it's not bad to know those things, but Just being attentive and being calm and right next to mama, I think at the end of the day, helps create or support that relaxing, that trusting environment that allows that labor to happen as, as easily as possible, given the givens.
0: Yeah, I will add to that, that in the hundreds of births that I have attended, that there is something to be said for the dads that make the moment about the birthing person and not about them. Like, it is just a day where you have to put your own needs and emotions aside a little bit or maybe share them with the You know, if you're feeling like you're going to pass out or you don't feel good, like, of course, share with the doula or share with the nurse, like what your needs are. Do not share with the birthing person (laughs) what your needs
1: are, right? Like, Do not add any anxiety (laughs) to the big pot of bubbling anxiety. You want to take away from that. Take the logs off the fire. Don't put more on.
0: Yeah, and... Talk about it in advance. So it goes back to communication. So when I'm doing my birth planning sessions, very extensive sessions with my couples, we have an entire hour where we are focused on the partner. We talk about labor positions with partner tips, all those, like you said, the helpful little things that you can do. But really what I'm trying to pull out in those prenatal visits is what do I think is going to happen in the labor room? Because I need to know about those anxieties and those fears and those trepidations in advance. So if partners will just sit down and role play prior to the birth experience, right? You will start to, like I do this thing called a birth fears workshop and a birth vision. And what we hear from each partner is like where their blocks are. And a lot of times with the dads, it's something stupid, like, Like they're afraid of the car ride or the baby being born in the car or something. That's okay. Let's just talk about it in advance, right? We don't want to talk about it when the contractions are forming.
1: Right, right.
0: Kind of thing. So all that preparation in advance is just so important. We have a few more minutes together, David. And I know that your kids are probably like, oh. So I want to just hear a little bit. We kind of got snippets of Jen's birth story, okay? And so I was hoping that we, you would just go back in time with me just a little bit with Justin's birth, the first one, and tell me like, how did you, how did you know she was in labor?
1: This is one of the moments that informed my first working subtitle, which is all the things I wish I did better the first time. So, you know, we're 40 and five, so she's, you know, five days past the so-called due date or the. What I now call in the window of expected arrival. And she was ready. I mean, she was like, it was August in Omaha. It's hot. I mentioned she showed early and often. So she's, and she'll, these are her words. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not throwing under the bus here, but she was, she was big and mad and ready. So she's walking around where she's eating dates, like all the little quote unquote old wives' tales of what helps bring the baby. She's doing all of them. One night, like 40 and four, it's like 3 a.m. And she wakes me up and she's like, I'm having contractions. And I'm like, ah, like half awake, like, okay. And so I sit up with her for a while. And like, it turns out they're Braxton Hicks or like, you know, warm up contractions. She was, her uterus is getting ready for the big show. And then they subsided. And I'm kind of like half awake. I'm like, okay. And she's like, okay, I think we're, I think, I think that was, I think they passed. I'm like, okay. So.
0: But that is. Scary, exciting, and frustrating. than when it doesn't turn into labor, all in one hour.
1: Right, right. And so again, her her emotional roller coaster is is going up and down and de lose. And unfor- you know, again looking back, I could have handled that much better. But I was I was sort of like, you know, I'm half asleep. I'm like, uh, well, you know, do is this? Do we need? To, are we? What's going on here? Like, I I wanted it to be either it's not real, so I can go back. Not real, quote unquote, not real labor. So I go back to sleep, or it is, so we can get up and get ready. So that's sort of like in between space. I was not as attentive as I would have liked to be. And then, so flash forward to the next day, we have a friend in town who wants to be there to help, who's been in town for like a week now, and she's just driving everybody crazy because she's like, "Do you think the baby's coming today?" And you know, like, and she said that every day. And I'm like, "Look, you know, uh, can you please stop asking that question? Like, you're making me angry, and I'm not the one who's you know big and mad and ready." So. Again, 3 a.m., Jen wakes me up again, and she's like, I think I'm having attractions. And, you know, again, I'm not proud of this. And this is, again, one of those moments I look back on. But I was like, well, can you wake me up if you're sure they're real? And she was like, what? (laughs) And I was like, what? You know, that happened last night. And then I kind of woke up a little bit more. I was like, "Uh, well, scratch that. I'm going to sit here. Let me get you a cup of water. And so the labor started progressing. I mentioned Barb was our doula. So it's like 5 a.m. And Jen's like, yeah, the, you know, these contractions are coming on more rapidly. So now I'm like, I'm all in at this point. I've, I've gotten over my initial sort of sleepy, wrong orientation to prioritizing my sleep over, my, our, over our new baby coming idea. You know, again, I, not proud, definitely a little sleepy there. So we called Barb. We told Barb what was going on. She's like, okay, well, I'm going to sleep a little bit longer. If, if they pick up, call me back and I'll come over. It's around 7 a.m., we call Barb again. The, the contractions were intensifying, so Barb comes over. And you know, Barb was actually, in addition to our doula, she was our teacher for our Bradley birth class. So we had talked about. She had, you know, we had already had a, a uh, an ongoing conversation with her over the previous weeks about the signs of labor and timing contractions and what it looks like. Jen went to the bathroom. Barb's like, I don't know where she is. She's like, she's like doubled over in pain in one second, then she's joking the next. And she's not having a contraction. Like we're, we're like cycling through all the phases of labor here. Let's, you know, the the contractions, the, the intense moments are getting intense. We should probably start heading towards the hospital because uh, you know she my wife is an active duty Air Force, and so she's obligated to give birth in the hospital. We would have preferred a more crunchy granola style. That's kind of our style. But like I said, we had a great OB who was on on our team with what we wanted to do. So like, okay, well, I guess I guess we can pack up and head out. And so. We had done the hospital visit, which is one of the things I recommend for the guys. And they're like, do at least two hospital visits or birth center or birthplace or wherever you plan on having birth, do a couple of visits. So you understand how it works and like where you're supposed to go. And you could be calm because you know where to park or if there's valet services, all these things you don't, you don't want to be the guy that's pulling up at the hospital with the brakes squeaking and telling your pregnant partner who's doubled over in contractions, here, get out real quick. I'm going to go park the car. Like, Whatever you do, don't do that. Leave the car running, go in with your partner, get her checked in, and eventually somebody will come ask you if that's your car up front or they'll park it for you, but do not leave her on the curb. So we'd already kind of addressed that and we were coming in and I'm calling like, well, we're, we're, we're on our way in, you know? And I kind of felt like I was like calling in, like in, like a, I don't know, like a heads up, we're coming in hot kind of thing. Like you see in the movies, like a, a spaceship is coming in on fire, crash landing. I, that's kind of how I felt. But we're early in labor. We get in. We get checked in, and you know Barb was there. Jen's mom. You know Jen was like really feeling the emotions coming, and she, her mom lives the Gulf Coast. You know it's like a six-hour flight kind of thing. And her, she calls her mom and is like I think we're having a baby. And her mom's like, Well, I'll get on a plane if you need me to be there. And she's like, No, we're good. We have Barb and Dave's here. And like I mentioned, we had some we made some friends at this point, so some friends were going to be by to kind of check on us. And we get down. We get checked in, and. They wanted to do a, a cervical check, which was sort of like, we couldn't tell them no and get checked in. So we had to go with that. And the poor nurse who was doing the cervical check was really short. And I, I don't mean this in any kind of way other than that she had really small, hand, like small short fingers. And this may be too graphic for your audience, so feel free to cut this out. But for her to do a cervical check, it was very uncomfortable for my wife because she had to kind of you know put more of her hand in... Than my wife was really wanting. So that was sort of uncomfortable. So that created, you know, I was like, I do not want her checking me again. That, that hurt. I don't want, I understand there's some physical discomfort with being checked, but that was actually painful. So we had a couple like, can we have a different nurse? And so I, I, I was happy to have that conversation. And
0: wait, hold on though. This is so important for the doula listening over here. First of all, if it's uncomfortable, I'm, I'm assuming her Cervix is very posterior, still kind of mm-hmm. tucked up behind the baby's head, which may mean we have a little bit of labor to go to bring the cervix forward to open it. But was she dilated, or did you go?
1: Yeah, she was four centimeters. Okay. Again, but the the nurse with the short fingers had to kind of, you know, put her hand yeah further in than somebody with longer fingers would have, and and she was like really she was like four six, like it wasn't like she was five four, quote unquote, short. Because my wife's six foot tall, so my wife's tall. But it was just very uncomfortable. And then that's where like, you know, I'd been kind of coached up on like, if you want a different, different people on, on your birth team, you can ask for that. Like you, you're not stuck with whoever's there. So I was able to ask for a different person or delay checking until this otherwise lovely lady was, was off her shift. ROB came in. He had just gotten back from being deployed. He was in Afghanistan for like six months doing regular medical duties, not delivering babies over there. Um, so he got back like literally four days before this. So we were super excited that we had that, you know, we had joked that Justin stayed in until Kevin was back to be the our our delivery doctor. So he showed up and Jen relaxed a lot, uh, because you know Kevin was there. And you know, Jen's mom was like, Oh, well, that baby will be here by noon. Famous last words. So as the afternoon goes on, um
0: <laughs> uh, the duel over here just cringed. I'm yeah, like, every every, every hers, duel baby.
1: listening is like, oh, don't no, don't ever say that. Don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> So the afternoon wears on, we mentioned earlier in the show that it turned out that she was pushing against the cervical lip was, you know, the terminology much better than I do, but he wasn't lined up right. Right. So maybe you can clarify for your listeners what that was again. Yeah,
0: let's clarify that. That's called asynclitic. Ideally, your baby is head down, face down, chin tucked, and kind of entering the pelvis with like the back upper part of their head. Almost like they're doing like a back dive or something like into your into your pelvis to come through. And then they actually will do a full kind of half, full to a half rotation as they enter. I have a pelvis over here. I was wanting to like show you, David, but like right. they have this, <laughs> they, you know, their head will enter the pelvis and then will rotate to come through, right? And they have to do this kind of rotation the baby has to kick off. The baby has to tuck the chin. It's all these things. This is why position is really, really important. And if anyone listening chooses an epidural, that's okay, right? There's many tools that we have that help us have babies, including an epidural. I had one on my first birth. But it makes it much more difficult to position a malpositioned baby when you're laying flat on your back or side with an epidural versus we can kind of wiggle and shake and do like hip openers and pelvic openers to like give Justin, essentially he needed a little bit more room so that he could tuck his chin and kind of get into that right position. The risk when we're not in a good position and you have the overwhelming urge to push, it's not something you can control if you're unmedicated, that fetal ejection reflex. If the head comes down and the fetal ejection reflex triggers, you are pushing. And if there are cervix left, the cervix will start to swell.
1: And that's exactly what happened with us. Exactly. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. It's, so Kevin, our, our great OB was telling, he was asking Jen to like hold off on the pushing. He was able to, he essentially was able to get his hand and finger there and like just push that cervical lip back because it was mm-hmm. swelling. And he was like, this is, we're, we're going the wrong way here, you know? So he was able to get that push back. And Jen was exhausted because she'd been pushing for a while now. And, you know, she'd been, the lack of sleep and the everything was kind of coming to a head. And again, I'm trying to stay connected with Jen, but I'm also we adopted for like low intervention, so they didn't have a fetal monitor on Justin's head. They were like listening through uh, an exterior like stethoscope against the side of Jen's belly, tracking our uh, Justin's heart rate. And sometimes it would it appeared to be dropping, but it was just because the monitor or the the sensor that was Doppler in the Doppler is what it's called. Yeah, so he's moving that, and like you know Kevin was very calm, but at this point I could see beads of sweat starting to drip down his head, and I'm like, you know his his demeanor was calm, but I could tell he was this we can't stay here. We need to do something different. Um, so as after he got the lip uh, the cervical lip out of the way, justice started progressing, and it's like, push, push, and Jen's pushing, and there were two different students there that were part of a different birth class we had taken at the at the Air Force Base called centering. It was like a group birth class. And so two of the residents were helping run that. So they were there. So the room is now has like eight people in it, which we, we so did that invasive. differently. Yeah. Yeah. We did that differently for our second pregnancy. So I remember this also may be a big graphic, but I remember one of the residents was like right there looking and all of a sudden she kind of flinched and I could see that Jen's water had finally broken and it basically like <laughs> splashed out and this was not Jen's favorite person. So I, later when I told Jen what happened, she got a little satisfaction out of knowing that one of the, the, one of the residents who was not her favorite person got a little bit of a amniotic shrapnel there as the, <laughs> yes. as, as the water finally broke. Um, but again, you know, the room, there, there's a lot of, like the, at this point, the, the NICU team has come in. They got the warmer fired up in the corner. They're trying to put an oxygen mask on Jen's face. And Jen, she can't hear what anybody's saying. She's telling me she can hear me. So that's when I mentioned before, Barb kind of like told me just to stand down from protecting the room. And she would worry about that and let me focus on Jen. So I kind of stopped paying attention. Everything else was happening. And I focused on Jen and a few minutes later out popped Justin, but he came out, he had, he had basically passed out in the birth canal. Uh, he was, he was gray. He was not, he didn't have any muscle tone. Like he wasn't screaming. And like our daughter came out, like she was crossing the finish line. Like yeah. Red faced and full speed, but for Justin, he came out gray and limp.
0: Let me explain so- that to the audience right now. So everyone's not totally freaked out. Okay. Because it is sort of normal for many babies to come out kind of what we call limp, right? Like, but they're, it's okay because they're attached to the umbilical cord, which is attached to the placenta. So they're getting lots of oxygenated blood. Okay. So even if your baby comes out, not crying right away. They weren't crying inside, inside the womb, right? They were still getting everything they needed two seconds ago when they were inside. They're still getting everything they need two seconds later on the outside, even if they're not crying because of that placenta is oxygenating them, okay? Sometimes they can, if there was meconium, he could have swallowed meconium or inhaled meconium. But sometimes if when they sit in the birth canal for so long, which it sounds like Justin sat there for a little bit, the umbilical cord in their head can get compressed. That can slow that oxygen that's flowing back and forth from the placenta to the umbilical cord. Sometimes the cord is wrapped around the neck. And so as the head descends down and the cord kind of tightens, even though there's Wharton's jelly that makes it all nice and lubricant, it can still kind of tighten and kind of slow that. And so we can see the heart rate sometimes decline, which just means like the bead of sweat on the OBGYN like this baby needs to be born soon now okay it's like tuck your chin Jen, push Justin tuck your chin like everyone's got to work together and baby's got to come out now okay right so you can g- right. get a little tense for a minute but I just want anyone listening to know or maybe this is even healing for you to hear David though is that Justin was fine okay because he was getting so much rich cord oxygenated blood from the placenta it has been on record, there have been babies that didn't cry for 14 minutes, but as right. long as they're still attached, they're okay. You know, so just know that, that Justin was okay.
1: Yeah. Thank you for, for that reminder, because in the moment, like it was all very terrifying. Like we had our birth plan slash birth preferences and in the birth preferences, you know, the vision is that he comes out and everybody's claps and cheers and the doctor holds him for a minute. And then I get to hold him, and we let the, we let the cord pump for a little while. And then I get to cut the cord and like everything is peachy keen. Things have their own way of happening and the birth preferences, not a plan, preferences, you know, you need to flex with that because sometimes things happen differently. So that's where we, we went from my vision of this sort of like rainbows and birds chirping to like the doctor's sweating, the NICU warmer's fired up, the room is getting crowded and there's a sense of, you know, urgency. So Justin comes out, he's a little not, he's not pink and screaming, he's a little quiet and blue. And Kevin, you know, again, our great OB is like, we need to accelerate the time that we're going to, we need to give him a, a minute to kind of see if he's going to bounce back or we need to get him in the NICU for like possible resuscitation or whatever. I mean, he's not saying this, but he's like, the baby comes out. He's like, okay, cut the cord, clamp, put him on mama's chest. And Jen's like rubbing him. And again, I mentioned like I'm right there and he's not moving and he's a little bit gray. And I'm like, again, I'm, I'm I've been like tense for hours now. And this is like the culmination of that. And as she's rubbing him, you can see his skin tone turns pink and he kind of moves his head and like the whole room just relaxes. And that's when Jen burst into tears, I burst into tears. He's moving his arm around, like he's clearly okay. At this point, we've crossed that bridge of, do we need to put him do we need to get the NICU nurses on him now or is, or not? I mean, and so they, the light turned off in the corner where the warmer turned down and the room kind of cleared out a little bit. It was just such a I mean, we were it was so it was so serene and quiet and calm as compared to what it had been five minutes prior when it was like ramping up, like all the intensity was building and then it just deflated instantly. And Barb was like, "I'm gonna go to the bathroom. I'll give you guys a few minutes." And so Jen and I and Justin sat there, and like he had his little his cute little hat on at this point, and like I had a hand on him, and Jen had a hand on him. We we're just like looking at each other, like smiling and laughing and crying, and like. Our babies here. Like that, that, like I mentioned, that was my first, like I'm a dad now moment, that first level of realization. But there was such a powerful shift in tone and and everything. And it was just so amazing. And I was so grateful that we had we had people that I believed in, like Kevin, I believed in, and Barb, I believed in. And then they were Barb was able to like tell me to stand down. I could focus on Jen. Like all that just sort of washed over us. And Funny anecdote here. So we, we have our golden hour, you know, skin to skin. I have skin to skin. I'm laying, there. there's a great picture of me laying there with Justin on my chest while Jen was being helped to the bathroom. So like that hour goes by and Jen was feeling like, you know, she was, she was feeling great. And I was like, okay, babe, I know this is a little bit awkward and you just had a baby, but can I take an hour nap? Like I am exhausted. My legs are killing me. And I really just want to lay down for like 45 minutes or an hour. <laughs> and she looked at me, she was like, sure, go ahead. And I felt so guilty asking for that. But like, you know, literally she had just pushed a baby out. And I'm, I, you know, what am I doing? But I was standing there, I was stressing, my legs were sore. I was bent over in these weird positions. And like all of that energy just washed out of me. And I didn't have any of the uh oxytocin flooding through my system. I was just beat. And so literally I laid down and like on the little dad cot, they called it. It was like a it's like a bench practically, but I slept great for 45 minutes. I woke back up. I was like, okay, now I'm tagging in like, and they do all the other things. But yeah, that there was a lot of intensity and transformative energy running through that room, through that, through the, especially the last couple, you know, that, that last stage of pushing them out. And it was, it was, it was a lot, you yeah. know, I mean, it's always a lot, but it was definitely a lot for me.
0: Yeah. I mean, that speaks to a lot about you, David, and how much you were in it because I feel that every time I have a birth, right? Like we, the doulas, we call it like the crash. Like we just Mm -hmm. get home. Like I've poured every ounce of energy of my body being soul into those parents, especially into that mom. And it takes me a day or two to recover, literally, from a birth. Most doulas will tell you this. Most dads will tell you that same thing too. They're so in it. There's so much adrenaline. They're so excited. And then when everybody's okay, like, okay, my wife's okay. Okay, baby's okay. Crash but it's good for you for speaking up and asking for what you need, right? Because the overwhelming theme of today's episode is it's nine months of your life, serve your wife. Right, right. You know, but there are moments too where it is really important that you learn to speak up for yourself. David, I know we're at the end and you just told your birth story and I'm, you know, but there's this question that I like, is pro- I don't even know if I should ask it because it feels like it's so go out of place it. and inappropriate. I think that if moms are going to forward this episode to dads, I should ask it. Okay.
1: Sure. Let's go for it.
0: I just don't want to conclude the episode without talking about sex. Okay. Sounds Some good. Some people are like, they, I literally have clients where they're like, my husband will not have sex with me. And then I have other clients that are like, my husband wants to have sex all the time and I am sharing my body with another human and everything feels kind of numb down there anyway. And I don't want to. And then there's like a spectrum in between. So you don't have to tell me about you and Jen's sex life. That's like not what I'm asking you about, okay? But I'm asking you, what advice do you have for the dads if you find yourself on different sides of sexual needs for nine months? That takes a toll on a relationship if they're not aligned. So I was wanting your advice on that.
1: No, that's a that's a great question. I, I had one, as soon as we, you brought the topic up, I was thinking of one couple in particular that I am friends with. And when she was pregnant, she wanted sex like every day. And like her her sexual appetite increased dramatically. My buddy was like, you know, trying, he was trying to be game, but at the same time, you know, everything's different. Like, the, the person who you got pregnant is not necessarily, you know, quote unquote, got pregnant. It's not necessarily the same person that six months in, eight months in, and things feel different. There's different realities you're trying to work with. And so, you know, he, he like, you know, literally every night she was, or day, whenever she was, you know, trying to like, you know, rip his clothes off, you know, in the metaphorical sense. And he tried to work with as best he could, did what he could to be helpful and supportive. But at the same time, you know, he was like, you know, I, I'm still my own person and it wouldn't be fair. If I always wanted sex, expecting you to acquiesce to my demands just because I wanted that. So they were able to have a really good conversation where she was able to find alternate ways of self-pleasure. It didn't go from, I want to have sex to you need to have sex with me. So she was able to work with that. There was another couple that I worked with where it was kind of the opposite, where like his sexual appetite was kind of high to start with and it stayed that way. And she was just not interested. And of course, like me and everybody else told him, like, hey, man, you, gotta, you need to find a way to handle yourself more frequently and, and not, you know, if she wants to have sex, great. If not, that's great also. But you, I'm never a fan of anybody feeling they need to be coerced in any kind of physical contact that they don't want to have. So let's just start. I should have started with that. But as a relationship, as a couple, I think, again, communication is so key here. Like, try to find ways to, to work with your partner, whether it's more or less frequent than you want. And also ways to kind of keep your boundaries intact where you're like, I don't feel that I'm trying to work with you. And I want, I want to be, I want to share the, our sexual chemistry that, 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 this is what got us here in the first place, you know, like joking aside. So let's continue to share that, but we each have to kind of work with each other. And for the guys out there who want more, cause you know, I can only speak from my experience into and and my audience is the guys that are interested in what I have to say. So I say, guys, if you want more sex and she is interested in participating in, then you need to you need to stay with you need to respect the relationship. Obviously, first and foremost, stay within the boundaries of that and find ways for other outlets and understand that she's growing a baby and she may not want that. And this this is your priority. This is dude zone to dad zone. Like the dad zone, if you think you're having less sex now, wait till the baby comes. Like it's a whole different reality here. So well, I'm right. really
0: glad that you said that, David, because I think it is really important in life in general, that everyone has a sex, (laughs) sexy, a healthy sex life with themselves, right? That's sex positive. And so I think that that's a foundation, like you said, healthy boundaries, healthy sex outlets or relationship with your own self, you know, that are approved within your marriage and or in your relationship. Then I think with healthy communication, anyone listening can get through nine months of pregnancy and then the many months afterwards in the postpartum period, if maybe those drives are misaligned. And I wanted to make sure we brought that up because more often than not, they will be misaligned. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if misaligned, sorry, but, you know, the not aligned, how about that? Right, Just not aligned. So thank you for just giving a little perspective on that. David, before we go, I'm going to give you the one question is the only question that I ask every single guest at the very end is what is your favorite baby product? So share it. If somebody's pregnant right now or a partner is listening, what needs to be like on, you know, when, when you're having a fight about going to buy buy baby because it's too soon, what should they actually go pick up though?
1: I have a top 10 list of favorite items for dads. So I'll pull two of those out. One of them is all the Frida baby stuff. Again, I don't get a kickback from this or anything, but like your little baby who's two weeks old cannot blow his or her nose. So if they're stuffed up or whatever, you need this thing called a snot sucker to help get that out. Or they have a great little patch that you put on their heel with a sensor that goes to your smartphone that gives you a constant readout of their temperature. Like when I was a kid, and again, Heidi, this may be too graphic, but my mom had to take our temperature rectally like every hour, with a rectal thermometer and you think a little baby likes that or anybody really, you know? Yeah. So this little heel, heel sensor is great. It saves so much drama. And as your baby gets a little bit older, my wife and I had so much fun with the tummy tub. Justin was a couple months old and um, he was able to uh, sit in this little tummy tub. Hi.
0: It's okay. You can join the podcast.
1: Okay. I'll be up in just a second, baby. Okay.
0: And watch the, motorcycle one? the tell her, motorcycle one. Tell her right now that they earned ice cream.
1: Oh, guess what? You're going to get some ice cream in a few minutes.
0: Hey, hey, cream.
1: Yeah, that's her favorite. Okay, I'll be right up, baby. After the baby was a few months old, we had this thing called the tummy tub, which is basically a translucent bucket that has a rounded interior on the bottom. Uh, it's only about like a foot tall, but you put like literally a quart of warm water in there, a really small amount. And we would put Justin in there and he would just splash around having so much fun. Like bath time was the highlight of our our night. Every night, he get out the tummy tub, put a little warm water in there. And he would just be jumping up and down and going crazy. And it was just pure joy for all three of us. So as new parents, sometimes you want to find those extra moments that are joyful for all three of you. And the tummy tub is is something that we just love. So we get all of our friends who are having babies, we always give them a tummy tub as our uh, as our, you know, our baby shower present just because we enjoyed it so much.
0: I love it. We'll link to it in the show notes. David, thank you so much for writing this wonderful book and sharing it with my audience and being on today. And I loved hearing the birth story from your perspective. I think that was really powerful. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Heidi. And thanks for all your work out there. I'm a huge fan. So thank you so much.
0: All right. Don't forget to head over to useanja.com. That's U-S-E-A-N-J-A.com. And use code BIRTHSTORY for $100 off when you choose cord blood banking privately with Use Anja. Thanks for listening to this week's episode and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to Birth Story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go. And that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, plan and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like.